This is Inspiring Design, where unique innovators come together to share their knowledge, share their insight, and keep us up to date with the latest industry trends. And here's your host, Rushan Senanayak. What's up, listeners? Welcome to Season 4 of Inspiring Design with Rushan Senanayaka. This is where the best of the best brands, experts, change makers, and thought leaders come together to share their valuable insights, experience, and knowledge, all centered around the growth sector in advanced manufacturing within Industry 4.0, encompassing various industries, technologies, skills, knowledge, trends, as well as stakeholders, all the while linking it back into education within schools and universities. Welcome to today's tech-themed episode, and we have one hell of a ride in store for you. Today, we focus on artificial intelligence and big data. And to talk about these technologies, I have here with me two bright young minds, Rahul Kota and Matthew Lackis. Rahul is a data scientist with a background in electrical and biomedical engineering, while Matthew is a mechatronics engineer with a specialization in simulation and virtualization, both representing an ambitious new startup called Athena AI. These modern day geniuses are both leading their fields with experience in AI and big data in a variety of industries, ranging from defense through to geospatial AI products, computer vision, mathematical programming, and digital twins, just to name a few. So without further ado, let's get straight into it. Welcome to Inspiring Design with Rashan Senanayaka. Can we start off with a little bit of background about each of yourselves? What's your story? Yeah, sure. So my name's Matt. I'm a mechatronics engineer here at Athena AI. Essentially, I've been working in advanced engineering for the past three years. So I graduated just last year, but for two years before that, I was working as an intern at firstly Australian Jointed Robot and then at a company called BMT and their automation team. And I focus mainly on computer vision, photogrammetry, that sort of thing. And then since coming to Athena, I've also started to learn more about artificial intelligence and big data and also how we can use that data to create digital twins of environments and, and really visualize uh, the sorts of things that you get out of the artificial intelligence. Uh, and, and I'm really excited to be taking that further here at Athena. Impressive. What about yourself? Hi, I'm Rahul. Um, first, thanks for having me on, Rashan. Um, so my uh, story started as um, in uni doing electrical engineering. I did electrical and biomedical engineering. Didn't really like it, but luckily during uni I got some exposure to AI subjects and um, medical imaging. And through that, after graduating uni, I did work as a researcher at UQ, uh, working with machine learning and um, MRI imaging. And through that, I um, then transitioned to work on normal uh, vision problems like object detection and face recognition and things like that, which finally led me into my role here at um, Athena AI as a data scientist, where I work on applying the latest computer vision techniques, so things that will appear in literature, say like a month, and then quickly put that into our pipeline and try and keep us on the cutting edge of vision. Yeah, wow, and how the heck did you guys learn how to do this stuff you know, in such an early stage of your careers? Google. Yeah, <laughs> no. Google. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, similar to Rahul, I, so I started in mechanical engineering and, and I didn't really enjoy it that much. And luckily at UQ where I studied, they had mechatronics engineering, which is kind of a mixture between mechanical, electrical and software. And I basically used that to segue into software. I really should have done software from the get-go, but that was an easy way for me to graduate on time and, and segue from there. Um, and really the way that, that I got into the field was, was through my internships. I was lucky enough to pick up a very specific sort of, you know, job title, intern at startup, very small company type thing. And, and you know, there's obviously a huge demand for, for their interns to really be putting themselves out there, learning things as quickly as possible. And eventually you figure out that the main part of the job, it's not really knowing what to do, it's figuring out how to do things. Mm, problem and then solving. from there, problem solving, but also like you're doing work that you can't just, you know, employ random people to figure out how to do it. You, it's your job to, you know, pioneer and, and, you know, discover new things while you're on the job. Uh, and a lot of that is actually done through Google. Um, yeah. You know, a little bit of your background knowledge from uni, but that's mainly a direction to, to you know, tell you what to research. Awesome. Well, we're here to talk about something very, I think, cool. It's, um, it's very much on the cutting edge of uh, the latest technologies in the world. One of the focuses we want to, I want to be able to discuss today is AI, artificial intelligence, as well as what is big data. So these words get thrown around quite a lot in mainstream and sometimes um, these, they can be misunderstood. So let's start off with AI. What exactly is AI? Yeah, that's a very good question because these <laughs> days AI can be anything, right? Some mm. people have images of killer robots, you know, Skynet, yeah. <laughs> Terminator, all these things. Or other people think they're just these stupid things in video games that like you can exploit to win. Yeah. But really AI is about just giving any aspect of human intelligence to some non-biological system, so artificial system. Yeah. So this could be simply, this could be something like um, looking at uh, an environment and trying to understand it or any task where you're trying to maximize some reward. So these days when people refer to AI, they usually mean machine learning. Mm. Well, that's the most um, popular technique these days, machine learning, yeah. which is basically um, coming to conclusions from data. So rather than giving your um, system a set of rules, say um, if it's got um, if it's green and it's got curves, it's a leaf. Yeah. What you do is instead you feed it a bunch of images of leaves, and then it'll learn that okay from all these images, these are leaves. Yeah. So things like that. Rather than come up with the rules, you instead use data to feed um, information into it, and it learns the rules. So this is sort of artificial intelligence right humans can learn so we can our models yeah so yeah I like to think of it as kind of just a new way to solve mathematical problems it's like the problem is so complicated and involves so many different variables that it would be impossible for a human brain to go okay I know that if I start with this image which an image is just a collection of pixels mm. I can get a zero or one as to whether or not it's a leaf which was Rahul's example mm. it's impossible to come up with that so instead what we do is we try and feed in the, the end product, we go, okay, here's, here's, the, here's the start product, here's the end product, feed that in multiple times, and then from there you have like a reverse engineered mathematical problem that solves the model in between. And that's really all it is. It's, and it's very simple. AI isn't, you know, killer robots. It's, it's, <laughs> it's like, how do you identify, you know, from handwriting what number or what letters things are? Or how do you identify, you know, speech to text, that sort of stuff. That, that's the stage that we're at, at the moment and I, I know a lot of people are worried that you know from there we're going to build up these huge complicated models and we're going to have terminators mm. but 
in order to do that, our computational ability would have to, you know, skyrocket. And I mean, you know, there's Moore's law or whatever, but we're not increasing at a rate fast enough that we can have, you know, terminators with brains large enough to have that many subsystems going that we should should actually be worried. It really is just a useful tool. Yeah. And yeah. that's all it is. Just to add on that as well, like mm. what we call AI has been changing for the last 20 years, right? Yeah, Before, yeah. if you could recognize some characters, oh, that's AI, that's insane. Yeah, yeah. But nowadays, like, oh, every pipeline has mm. that. Anyone can do that. Mm. And now a big thing is like, oh, you know, object recognition and stuff. Wow, it can recognize um, poses as like, it can recognize you're happy and things like that. Wow, that's cool. But yeah. like, say 10 years, yeah. that'll change and it'll be um, very different. Like, people want that Skynet kind of. Yeah overall AI that knows everything, sentient AI. Yeah. yeah, so like the huge challenge at the moment is self-driving cars, right? Mm. You know, and we can identify objects on the street, but can we do that in real time fast enough so that we could then have a, an automated car using that data? And I think examples like that really show how big the human brain actually is because that's exactly what we do when we're driving. Mm. We detect things almost instantly and we re react to them. Yeah. We do not have the computational power at the yeah. moment to be and able I think to do that. Speaking of um, self-driving cars, the recent announcements about Tesla's, how each car is actually feeding into their biggest large ecosystem, which they're calling, if their AI system is actually consistently refining their self-driving mechanisms, which is actually yeah. really cool. And this takes me on to that next question. What is big data? Because again, similar to you guys have already mentioned the word data multiple times. It goes hand in hand almost. How do you define it? So, so my, my understanding is, you know, now that we have the internet, the internet of things, everything's connected, and we've got these massive data centers, we have the ability to store all of these data points, you know, from, you know, what shoppers are buying, you know, how people get to work, that sort of thing. And you want to find a way, like, it's inherently valuable. You know it's valuable. You know that knowledge is power, but you want to find a way to use that in some way. And the mm. only way to do that really is through AI because you don't know the formulas that can link all of that data to a positive outcome. You need to use the AI and the machine learning to come up with that formula, like I was saying before. So, so that's essentially big data. It's how do we take all of these massive data points and turn that into... Uh, you know, into a positive outcome, into something that we can use as, as engineers. Yeah, so essentially, correct me if I'm wrong, the data is the content and the AI is the, the delivery mechanism? Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly right. So like AI is the machine, data is the electricity that fuels it. Gotcha. Without the data, the machine can only do so much, right? Yeah. It doesn't matter how cool a machine you make, if you don't have the data to power that machine, you're not going to get the job done. Yeah, so for instance, social media companies are getting a lot of flack lately because they collect all of your data. They, you know, mm. when you scroll past things and scroll back up, they, you know, they put that onto their database and they say, oh, he was interested in that. And then you'll start to see ads about the same thing. Yeah. It's an AI algorithm that's taken the data of the gestures that you're going on your app, what you're looking at, how long you're looking at things, and it's plugged that into an algorithm that they've trained specifically for you. Mm. And now that outputs your ad preferences. And a lot of people don't like that. That's possibly a negative part of, of <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, artificial intelligence, but it is positive for the advertisers. They get to reach an audience that's more targeted. Well, to contrast this, well, the big tech companies have been using data for making money and selling ads. Mm. However, like, why can't we use all this data that we have to do something good? Mm. Say in the medical field, yep. we have all these MRIs, past patient records, etc. Yep. Why can't we harness that data to improve um, the patient care, patient's life, and improved diagnosis, and all these things. Yeah. So yeah, it's it goes both ways. Right now, yeah, we see course. the people with money. Yeah. Obviously, money will fuel a lot of the innovation because yeah. 
you want to get something out of your research. Yeah. But now we're making a shift to using this data for more, for better things. Mm. And I think it's like when, when, we, when humanity first invented the knife, yeah. <laughs> some people figured out that, hey, you can actually skin a cat, saber-toothed cat back then, maybe you can actually kill an adversary, yeah. or you can actually prepare a nice meal, you know, it, it, um, or you can sharpen your tools. So I think we're still trying to figure out what this tool can yeah. do yeah. and what are their capabilities. So what are your thoughts on what it'll be like in, say, 20 to 50 years' time? I mean, I think it'll improve. I think... I'm, 20 and 50 years, you know, those are two different (laughs) distinct uh, distinct milestones. We are seeing a slowdown in the rate at which we can increase our computational power because really that is the limit at the moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, Neural networks were discovered in the 90s, weren't they? Mm -hmm. But they just weren't a viable possible solution until we had, you know, enough silicon and small enough silicon to make these new microchips. Mm. Now, anyone who doesn't use neural networks gets laughed at. You know, and, I, and I've copped the brunt of this because a lot of the AI I do is actually classical methods that mm-hmm. are probabilistic and professors say, oh, no, you couldn't possibly beat neural networks, even though sometimes they do. Mm. Um, yeah, so, I mean, we, we're going to have to have an advancement in, in the microchip technology to, to expand AI, but I, I think, you know, we're, we're making leaps and bounds every day. You know, we've got more people researching these sorts of things. The more people that are putting their minds towards the problem, the more likely we're going to come up with a new neural network architecture or a new way to solve the the same problems and we're getting more and more efficient. Mm. I'm optimistic. I don't think we're going to have AI fully taking over the world, even in 50 years. Um, (laughs) If anything, it'll just be the worst kinds of jobs that that are replaced, like fruit picking, for instance. You know, stuff that's very easy to automate, stuff that no one really wants to do. Yeah. That, that's the only you know immediate thing that's going to be replaced. And I think one of the important things, like you said, there, there are very good positives to this kind of technology and throw back to one of the episodes with the Adva- Advanced Robotics Manufacturing Hub where their arm was actually used and coded to handle the COVID quarantine hotels and being able to handle the laundry from end to end without any human, human contact, which is actually a very positive thing. So... Where do you think, in your wildest imaginations in 50 years, where do you think AI might be? So, <laughs> yeah, so there's a huge difference which, um, between every decade we go, right? Mm. Like, if anyone who's been alive for the last 10 years, we Absolutely. know that things have changed so much. Like, the computational power of your phone is the same as a computer yeah. or laptop, like, 10 years ago. So things are just, yeah, as Matt said, things are tapering off a bit. We're not getting as crazy. Yeah. But another thing that we have to think about is also quantum computing. Here's mm-hmm. another yeah, buzzword I've thrown in. So if we get quantum computing in, mm. chucked in the yeah. mix, things just shoot off exponentially. Mm-hmm. And then the capabilities that we're capable of changes. Because with con- quantum computing, you can do massive amounts of computation parallelly at the same time. Yeah. So it means we can properly simulate things. So this will go into, say you want to create a robot to do something. You don't have to use the real world. You can train it completely on a quantum computer that simulates the real world. Mm. And then with our advances in machine learning, you can have it do whatever you want, really. So yeah. 10, I, I, I'll say 10, 20 years, because that's all I can think about. Because after that, <laughs> it, who knows? Like, yeah. you know, yeah. like people in the 60s had some idea of what 2010 Absolutely. is going to be like, and it's very different. Mm. But say 10, 20 years, I think 20 years, like somewhere between 10, 20 years, we'll have self-driving cars in western countries i think like when i say self-driving i still mean you have to be at the wheel monitoring because i think 
AI is not going to replace humans in the next mm. 20 years. It's only going to make our lives better. Yeah. There's going to be more AI tools which assist us rather than replace us. So this could mean, say, you're in a um, construction site. Mm -hmm. You're not going to get rid of the site advisors or the tradies. Yeah. But you'll give them tools to help their, um, their lives, make their jobs easier, more efficient, reduce the risk, make their lives safer, yeah. which are all good things. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. And obviously, that's thinking about the future. What about the other side of the coin? Compared to five, 10 years ago, how did this industry look like five to 10 years ago? Well, we can, the, the difference is right here, right? So mm -hmm. what Matt does, he uses um, classical machine learning techniques. Mm -hmm. I'm using more deep learning things. Right. So deep learning is a subset of machine learning that involves these things called neural networks. Yeah. So it's sort of like the brain, they're not really like the brain. The brain's <laughs> a bit more complex than that. Yeah. But basically, there are a set of individual units called neurons mm -hmm. and they're layered together and then data is fed into them and these neurons learn different features about the data to come up with conclusions. Yeah. So usually in classical ML things are more handcrafted. So it would be, I want to know who the best NBA player, um, who's going to score the most points in the next basketball game. Yeah. So you'll look at, okay, um, time on the court, these kind of features, um, past scoring, things like that. And you'll use those features to come up to, um, you'll put those features into the model mm -hmm. and the model will learn from those features. Mm -hmm. Whereas with deep learning, it's more like, here's just a bunch of data about basketball games. You don't give it anything else and it'll mm -hmm. come up with a conclusion based on that. Gotcha. It's called supervised learning where you give it a, um, a target. Yep. You give it a target for each data point and it'll learn from that. It's essentially the complexity of the model that's changed. So with a classical approach, you fully understand the model. It's essentially like a bell curve, but in multiple dimensions because mm -hmm. it's you know more than one axis. Very simple, but it actually works. You know, if you you know if you use height and weight and use that to predict gender, for instance, you know mm -hmm. that that is actually quite a good indicator. You won't get it right all the time, but mm -hmm. people who are taller and weigh more are usually men, for instance. But then, as you want to start to you know identify far more complicated things, the mm -hmm. neural network approach takes over because. We don't really know how it works, but we can just keep adding layers and layers and layers and it mm. becomes the most complicated mathematical algorithm you could imagine, but we use that learning to condense it. And what's interesting is we, we knew about all of this in the 90s. The only mm -hmm. thing that's changed is now that we have the computational power to apply these neural networks, we have engineers and scientists working on the problem. Yep. And now that you have thousands of people working on the problem, people start making breakthroughs and companies are starting to invest billions of dollars in data centers that can do things even faster. And that's why we've seen an, an expansion. The technology hasn't changed in terms of the, the fundamentals, the maths and the algorithms, they're all the same, but it's the, the computational power and how many minds are actually devoting to the task that's changed. Love yeah. it. And how do you think these, these technologies are gonna change the way we work compared to now in the next couple of years, how are the industries, especially the industries you guys are working in, and I'm aware that you're, you've got a couple of different sectors that you guys apply this technology within, how do you think that's evolved and evolving? Yeah, so especially computer vision's completely changed. Mm, yeah. So 10 years ago was like when um, deep learning models called uh, CNN's first convolutional neural networks first came up. And then back then there were these new cool things that one state-of-the-art um, competitions and ever since things have changed so much so so first 2010 CNN's come they become popular mm. but back then people were still doing conventional machine learning um, 
ways of doing things by looking at um, features and the image and things like that. Yeah. And then as we go in the last 10 years, things have changed exponentially. Mm. So stuff that came out two years ago is almost obsolete. Mm. Like yeah. that's how fast we're moving. Because yeah. as Matt said, there's more people in this area to innovate and especially with software where things can be tested wherever you are as long as you got the hardware for it yeah you can send some software over the globe and everyone around the world can look at it look at the code like it's open source sorry that's what i mean to say yeah the um the research is open source so everyone can try it so everyone's trying the latest stuff say oh this doesn't look quite right so some other guy in india is looking at it <laughs> he comes up with something cool yeah he publishes it yeah and then someone in like norway looks at it and they're like oh you miss this, combining and then knowledge, yeah, we're yeah, combining everyone together. Yeah. Like we have the internet, mm. we can harness the uh, minds of the globe. And yeah, so the rate at which things are changing is exponential. Absolutely. Especially and with the computer vision side of things. And what are the industries you guys are currently in applying this tech in? So, so we work mostly in the defense industry. So mm -hmm. um, a, a lot of Rahul's work is identifying civilians, you know, from, from military cameras so that you can assess collateral damage, make sure that, you know, you're not targeting, you know, groups of people, that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm doing the geospatial analysis. So we take satellite images and terrain data and we, you know, detect all of the water, the roads, the buildings and the trees. And then from there, you can... So that's an AI model that's produced that. Mm -hmm. You can then populate a 3D world and you can start doing mission planning with that sort of stuff. So you can start plotting paths. You can say, okay, if I've got an unmanned ground vehicle and I want to get from here to here, what's the most optimal path? You know, avoiding water and trees and buildings and following yep. roads or staying out of sight of the enemy, that sort of thing. Um, so, so at the moment, it's a very military tactical level, but, but that's how most advanced technologies actually start. I mean, yep. if you look back since the beginning of time, you, mm. you're working for the military, but there are so many civilian applications. For instance, we've recently put in a proposal that was a similar thing to that geospatial analysis, but for disaster relief. So if mm. there's been a bushfire and trees have fallen everywhere, can we take a quick satellite image, run that through geospatial AI and then go, okay, what's the fastest evacuation route from you know this location? Yeah. Now taking into account that the roads are blocked and that there's flooding, for instance, or there's a fire over here, yeah. that sort of stuff. Love it. Yeah, and similarly, even though we started in the defense space, mm. we can easily do anything that involves vision, right? Because as long as the models are the same, it's just the data that's different. Yeah, there's some tweaks that you have to do, yeah. but the same, it's the same principle. So instead of looking for civilians, we can look for, say, fruit or starfish or things like that. Yeah. So there's many applications and mm. the applications are endless. Like we can use this in every industry. Yeah. Say, um, say construction, you want to make your site safer. So you can have something that looks for, say, hard hats. If someone's not wearing a hard hat, you sound an alarm, mm. things like this. Yeah. And that uses the same vision principles. It's a bit more you have to add, of course, for the whole application. Yeah. But, but it's transferable. It's, uh, it's transferable, yeah. yes. Taking this conversation into a little bit of a different um, tone, you guys are relatively new to your careers. How yeah. long have you been in the working industry so far? So I've been working full-time for a year and a half now, a bit, bit more than a year and a half. Yeah. Um, and then for a, a year and a half before that part-time while I was at uni. So yeah, not, not very long, but it, it's been kind of a similar sort of field, just this advanced engineering, small company sort yep. of stuff. And your tertiary education was how long? Uh, five years, five years. So I have a master's in mechatronics engineering. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been working for two years. Um, so Athena AI is my real first proper company because before mm -hmm. I was working at 
the uni doing research, which is a bit very different in terms of <laughs> still uh, a company. <laughs> yeah, but like you know, I was working twelve to eight. Like yeah, I could yeah, choose yeah. my hours. No one. It's just weird. It, yeah, you're more free. Yeah, and things are a bit slower maybe. Yeah, and here there's like deadlines and things we have to do. But before that, I did um, bachelor's degree in four years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bachelor's with honors. It's like built into engineering degrees in uh, Australia. But, yeah. No. Yeah. Look, the reason I asked that question is, you've had your your high school and your university career was around the corner. What are the subjects, what are the skills that you learned during your education that have actually helped you succeed in your career now? Let's start with high school. Yeah, so high school is really the fundamentals. So, I Mm -hmm. mean, we were both fortunate enough to excel at maths and science and and that's led us to this career. Yeah. Um, As a coincidence, we both went to the same school. Yeah. And they didn't (laughs) offer computer science. They really should have, um, but they didn't. But... You know, if, if you have the, the fundamental mathematical background and you have the fundamental physics background, it, it is easy to quickly transition into, into computer science. You know, there are definitely a lot of students in first year who had that exposure at school and they do get a head start, mm. but it's, it's not too detrimental. I mean, it, you know, if we had it for years before, then that would be, you know, a big, a big advantage. Yeah. But, but definitely, um, you know, of course you have to be able to read and write and, you know, communicate, but, but there is a big focus on, on maths. And if you're not excelling in maths at high school, it, it really isn't an avenue that you can consider, I, mm. I wouldn't say. Yeah, fair enough. What about well, I think you can, like, maths isn't the be-all and end-all of this mm-hmm. kind of stuff, right? Because <laughs> right now we're getting to a stage where you don't have to understand the maths as much with AI. Okay. If you can do a bit of coding, mm-hmm. you can make things work. Obviously, if things go wrong, you kind of you're in a bad spot. You're in a bad spot. <laughs> yeah. But to make things that work, yeah. you don't need the maths, but you do need critical thinking. You need to know how to source data, how to go on, like as Matt said before, how mm-hmm. to go on Google to get information about something. Say yeah. I want to make a um, a robot. Or we can go Google, Google, there'll be plenty of tutorials, plenty of videos, whatnot. Mm. So I think the most important thing in high school education is critical thinking, okay. learning what's a good source of data, what's a bad source of data, yeah. that kind of thing. Like, and also learning how to learn. Yeah. That's another important thing, meta-learning. Yeah. Because like, if you can learn how to learn, you can pick up anything theoretically, right? Well, we've got a limited amount of time in this. People have different um, things they're more inclined or they're better at they have a better aptitude for certain things Mm. but you want to learn these meta skills rather than the actual content or you you do want to do well in school I'm not saying (laughs) ignore your classes or whatever you learn the the meta skills right yeah the meta skills are more important that's that's um, yeah cool and how do you think creativity plays a role in this Um, well design thinking for example yeah so there's always this thing of like oh creative people do arts creative people do this that's we shouldn't really promote that I think because you there is lots of space for creativity in mathematics and all these things mm. like just thinking art is creative is nonsense mm. design <laughs> a lot is of creativity in software development yeah exactly yeah um, yeah I mean for me creativity is I've learned all of these things in the past and they're kind of like just little points in my brain and you link them together to create something new that's essentially creativity so it's not necessarily okay here's an awesome new painting or a piece of music that I've made. Of course, that's creativity. But mm. you know, from a, you know, I'm focusing a lot on maths. From a mathematical perspective, 
there are certain things that you've learned sometime in the past and the way that you apply them to new problems is the creativity that I use in, in my field at least. Yeah, and I think that that's the common misconception where people think if it's not a piece of artwork that we can physically see yeah. that's got paint on a canvas, yeah. that's not really creative. But you're absolutely right in saying, I think when someone is developing a new piece of software, the level of creativity that goes into designing yeah. that, there is a lot underestimated yeah. and it's just not on the surface but it's there. And all the jobs of the future are going to focus on creativity. That's yeah. the, I mean, that's what AI is going to replace. It's going to replace the non-creative things first, the yeah. things that are simple and easy and repeatable, mm. and then it's how you use all of those things that it's found creatively. That's going to be the human input, at least for the next 50 years, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, just touching on the art thing as well. Mm. Like, for engineering-minded people, the iPhone is a work of art, like the first yeah. iPhone that came out. <laughs> Absolutely. Like yeah. there's lots of products that are art, yeah. but we don't think of it because we think of paintings, we think of music, but you can, like these things are beautiful in like an engineering point mm. of view, because creativity is what drives people forward, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's when we make new things in different ways, we can come up with better solutions. Because yeah. yes, things in the past work, but we don't have to deal with that standard. We can always keep innovating, always go to the next thing. Yeah. And also, if you're a creative person, come with a cool startup. There's yeah. money in that for you. So, <laughs> yeah. so yeah, that's absolutely. where the money is. Creativity is where the value yeah. is. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I'm very happy to hear that given the work that we're doing. And, and the, most of the listeners are schools and teachers, so they're going to love what you're hearing. So here's a, here's a bit of a tough question. You guys are indirectly within 21st century education as a classification in the time period. Do you think, in a very clear, plain sense, it aligns with the requirements of the industry as of 2021? I don't want to be too hard on them, <laughs> but no, absolutely not. Okay. Um, Why do you say that? I think there's way too much focus on, on the humanities. I mean, I'm biased. I'm in a STEM field, but yeah, I mean, you just have to look at the numbers of people graduating law and arts, and the, these are smart kids, you know. Mm. They graduate school, they go to university, and they're, they're ready to learn, but they just don't have the interest or the background in doing STEM-related fields. And that's what we need. That's that's the modern economy. Yep. We don't need any more lawyers. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> we need more data scientists. We need more engineers. And mm. I do think that that fundamentally starts at primary school and high school. So, I mean, the biggest issue is there aren't enough women in STEM. Mm. Half the team isn't even playing, and yep. that's why there's such a big shortage of supply and there's so much demand for, for these kinds of skills. But, but more than that, I mean, it, it comes from the same issue. We're not encouraging people enough and they're struggling with maths we say oh well you're just not mathematically gifted mm. science is coming out now that there's no such thing as being mathematically gifted mm. it's just someone's told you that you're not mathematically gifted yeah and now you're going to go down a different route you're still a very intelligent person but now you're focusing more on your humanities mm. i think we need to make sure that we're you know progressing all skills evenly all the way through high school and really hammering home you know this is the modern economy this is these are the skills that we need for the future you need to be scientifically minded you need to be creative not just in an artistic sense but also in a mathematical sense that sort of thing um, that's where I think the education system needs to go it doesn't necessarily need to have all these fancy new gadgets in mm -hmm. the schooling system mm -hmm. but the, the fundamentals the grassroots they really need to be established and, and kids need to understand why it's important the thinking and the approach you mean yeah yeah, yeah. Um, just to add on to what Matt said yeah he's right we're not equipping high school students to excel in these industries because number one mm. the way we're thinking about things like coding, right? We think, oh, that's like software engineering. Mm. Well, no, coding is just a better way to like, it's, it should be thought of as um, computer literacy, just using computer. Because that's yeah. basically what you're doing. You're yeah. just giving more functionality to your computer. Yeah. So 
coding is not just reserved for software engineers. Mm, no, it yeah, should be right. not just engineers either. Yeah. Like even now, you know, chemical engineers, electrical engineers, they're learning coding. But not just that. Everyone, even lawyers, yeah. it should make their lives easier. You shouldn't wait for some software engineer who has like a law friend who knows about the field mm. to mm. come with a new thing. Mm. You can do it yourself. And I think, well, Matt said it's not that important um, with all these gadgets and stuff. Mm. But I think what they do do well is they can inspire people mm. to do things, right? Because yeah. when we first learned maths, we're like, oh, just a bunch of numbers. Like, mm. what am I going to do with it? Mm. Formula, right? Yeah, just yeah. a formula. Like, like, what's the point of um, the quadratic formula? I'm, not, mm. I'm never going to use it. Yeah. But really, what we should be showing them is the end product mm. and then working our way back. Yeah. So we can show them, hey, if you know a bit of maths and a bit of coding, you can make this cool AI yeah. system, robot, whatever, yeah. and then work back. What are the things they use? Yeah. So more of a top-down approach of learning yeah so same with yeah same with all kinds of and I fields. think there's a lot of value in what you've just shared because it's inherently proven that people will pick up on logic logic based thinking and mathematical equations when they can visually see that and and virtual reality has played a big hand hand in that so there's a lot of value in that so I, I love that you both bring almost complementing but slightly opposing mm. views as well to the same topic so that's really good now what are your what's your advice for students and graduates right now yeah well i was about to actually segue onto this if, if you didn't ask that question yeah there's also this big stereotype that's going through uni that all the things that you're learning you don't need you don't use you learn on the job yeah and i've had the complete opposite experience yes there's a huge amount of learning on the job but every single time I've been working and, you know, a little light bulb goes off in my brain and I'm like, oh, I remember that thing I learned and I've applied it. That's led to something really good. Mm. So I think what's happening is people are handicapping themselves by saying, I'm not going to really focus that hard at, at uni. I'll just get fours and I'll go and work on a mine site somewhere. Yeah, there are some jobs within engineering that don't require you really to remember much from, from your uni. But, mm. but the new and exciting jobs, yeah, I mean, the more you can learn and the more you can remember, of course you're going to be exposed to more interesting work. And, and that's just the, the reality of it. So I, I think a lot of people get shut down early. They, they hear, you know, they, get, they have bad mentors and they say to them, well, don't worry about it. You can make, you know, six figures if you just don't even focus on your degree. Well, well sure, but if you want to be a creative mind, you know, pioneering the future of technology, mm. no, try and remember every single thing. You'd be surprised all the random knowledge that then can get mixed together and come up with something brilliant. Well said. Well, mine, my philosophy is a bit different. I think you shouldn't be constrained in school. If mm -hmm. you want to learn something, the internet exists. Mm -hmm. Go yeah. learn it. Mm -hmm. don't, wait for your, don't wait for a third year subject in uni or something to learn about something. If you're in year 10, you like AI, you can go learn about it. Okay, there's going to be some things that are very foreign to you. There's going to be weird maths, but you can learn it in steps. Mm. First, you see the end product, and I said um, before, go work your way backwards. Okay, there's this maths. This builds on this maths. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is similar to um, what's it called? Calculus. I learned mm -hmm. in grade ten. Yeah. So I can bridge the gap of that knowledge and work towards it. Yeah. So what I promote, what what I'm going to say to kids in high school, in the early years of uni, just if you're interested in something, go look at it, go try it. It it is a bit daunting at first where you see things, but you want to be trying things because the beauty of the internet is everything's out there. Yeah. So we want to harness these. Even teachers, tell your students, like, if you don't quite understand something, they're asking you difficult questions, you can look it up yeah. and you have a bit more knowledge that you can maybe, not necessarily teach them it, 
but show them how to get there. Yeah. Because it's about the path. Facilitating the yeah. learning. Make yeah. consistent learning part of your life, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. which actually goes on to my next question. What's your advice for teachers, mentors, educators? Teachers really need to, I, I, I think, I mean, this is, I'm kind of hammering this point a lot. They need <laughs> to focus on the stories that they tell their yeah. students, you mm. know. If, if you're telling students, oh, you know, this isn't on the test, they're not going to remember it. If yeah. you're telling students, you know, you're a C student in English, you're not good at English. You're a C student in maths, you're not good at maths. That becomes their internal story. They, it they becomes their reality. Side. Exactly. Yeah. The teachers need to encourage students that everything is important, everything that they're learning is important, and use what Rahul was saying about, you know, show them the end product, say, if this is something that interests you, here is the journey to get to that point. And just because you're, you know, at this very low level now does not mean that you can bridge that gap by just doing your own research, doing your own learning. Like, you know, for a grade one kid, you know, can, can barely read, but a grade 12 kid who's getting C's for English would be getting A pluses in grade one, right? And that's, you know, that's a big gap, but that's 12 years of knowledge condensed, you know? If, if you can get from that level, the grade one level to the grade 12 level over 12 years, what if you accelerated that twice as much? Think about where you could be in six years time. There's no reason to feel like, because you're behind now, that you have to stay that way. If you're interested in something, if you're interested in that end product, put yourself out there and focus on it. And I think that's what teachers should be encouraging. Beautifully said. Yeah, well, how am I supposed to follow that? <laughs> yeah, just adding on. Mm. You know, push, like, inspire the kids. Mm. Show them what's possible and don't put them into boxes. Yeah. Show yeah. Them, you can, these days, you can be anything, really. Like, people are changing careers. There are people who are, like, 30, 40, just jumping into AI. Yeah. So the education's out there. And also, like... You don't have to be 20-something to understand AI or 23, uh, 23 or whatever. You don't have mm -hmm. to go through that many years of education. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, there's 15-year-old PhD students, right? Mm -hmm. Like, as long mm -hmm. as you inspire the kid to go in that one direction that they're interested in, they can learn what they need to. Yeah. The amount of kids are learning about video games these days, if they just, you know, directed that yeah, energy exactly. into, into something else. And uh, I think like, that's, uh, that's yeah. valuable. It's because of the perception of this kind of feel these kinds of technologies involves almost a beautiful mind it's almost no. unattainable for everyday people yeah, so every people mind is a beautiful mind <laughs> yeah there you go that's i think um, the perfect way to summarize that another thing i want to add mm. also to inspire the children to get their hands dirty yeah get them doing things like yeah. if they're interested in ai tell them to start actually building things right yeah because that's where you learn because what happens is you look it up and you'd be like okay this is maths this is that but it's not until you start doing things that you can actually learn it. So just yeah. encourage the kids to get dirty, try things, fail quickly, yeah. and then move on. Perfect. Now, you guys have mentioned Google as obviously the way, place to go and learn, but if other, are there any other sources you can recommend if people want to go learn about AI or big data? What are your thoughts? Uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah, Google's getting a lot of brand rap here. Aren't they? <laughs> I mean, they're the ultimate search engine. Um, are there any books? Are there any shows? Um, websites that you might recommend? Yeah, so I'm going to say, especially for AI ML, yep. I'll t I think everyone, I say 80% of the field mm. right now, they've done this course. Yeah. Um, it's on Coursera. It's taught, um, it's intro to deep learning and mm -hmm. there's also intro to machine learning. Yeah. Like it's a course that you can do. Um, you can do it for free, like you can watch the videos for free, mm -hmm. but to actually get the recognition, you've got to pay for it. Sure. So I'm going to suggest free sources because 
that's what I use. Yeah. Like I, oh, I obviously have my uni education to give me that extra tick. <laughs> yeah. But there's a lot of free sources out there. Like there's lectures from Stanford, MIT, all these top universities. You can find on YouTube. Yeah. You just have to be careful you don't get lost in the YouTube algorithm. Yeah. Yeah. But YouTube's a good source. Like Google, mm-hmm. Google and YouTube, same thing. Like the, yeah. <laughs> like they. As I said before, you want to learn how to find information, what's quality information. Yeah. So if you have these skills, Google becomes a lot better. Like you know where, you know what a good link is. You yeah. know how to follow it to get good information. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, I was about to add YouTube to that list, but you, you beat me to it. Um, <laughs> if you're looking for something less technical and just want exposure to what's possible, there is a lot of awesome stuff on, on YouTube, a lot of those science channels, a lot of those um, computer yeah. science type channels where you've got a programmer who's you know, has the code linked in the description, but they're really just showing you how they build. For instance, game development is a big mm. one that I use because I'm using game engines to do my virtualization. Um, a lot of the tutorials, they're, you know, building really cool things in this game engine. They're showing you, you know, how they started, what didn't work, what did work, how they were persevering. And you, and you kind of, it builds a storyboard of, of what the experience will be like for you and how, you know, you, you can actually enjoy that journey. It's a lot of hard work, but then at the end, you learn a heap and you get that code to go along with it if you want. Um, so that's definitely a good resource. Yeah, so a specific resource, because I know YouTube's broad, there's lots of things. Number one, Khan Academy. Mm-hmm. I'm sure yeah, most yeah. people have heard yeah. of Khan Academy. <laughs> uh, it's got me through high school mm-hmm. and uni. <laughs> yeah. um, there's another one called Three Blue, One Brown. Mm-hmm. So it's a good um, YouTube channel that explains mathematical concepts yeah. with visualization. That's a very important thing, right? Because yeah. sometimes we get lost in the maths, the symbols, but we want to actually see what we're calculating, things like mm. that. So that's a good channel. Yeah, I mean, if you're in early high school and you want to be awesome, go on Khan Academy <laughs> and learn yeah. all of your 12 maths. There's nothing that's stopping you. You don't need to have an older brain to have mm. a, a bigger brain. Um, and you know what? Then you'll start getting A pluses for everything and life will be easier for you. So that, that would be my best advice. I wish I did that. Beautifully wrapped up, man. Beautifully wrapped up. Well, thank you so much for your time. You guys have absolutely killed it. I think it's been one of the most informative and fun conversations. So thank you so much. Personally. No Thanks for having us. Pleasure. That's it for today's episode. Now it's time to take action and build on the learnings to get inspired. First up, jump on to rashansenanayaka.com forward slash podcast and check out the show notes, links and other relevant learning materials from this amazing episode. Next, if you learned something new today, click that subscribe button and set yourself up to receive live notifications on future episodes, as well as more opportunities to learn from our amazing guests, brands and speakers. Last but not least, it's time to have your say. Join the conversation and share your thoughts and feedback on today's episode with a review, all while joining many others with a five-star rating for Inspiring Design with Rashan Senanayaka. Till next time.